Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to the Travel and Transformation Show with me, your host, Sophia. And today, my guest is Carly Pepin. And I hope I pronounced your last name correctly because I've been finding myself butchering people's names recently. So I got that right. (laughs) So let me tell you a little bit about Carly, and then I'm going to ask her to tell you about herself. Carly is an international speaker and consultant with specialized focus on human behavior. With a global reach, she delivers the message that regardless of one's background, occupation, or origin, every individual encounters personal and professional challenges stemming from their own perceived flaws. Carly emphasizes the key to building life lies in how you utilize and transform these stories. So from there, Carly, please tell us a little bit more about yourself, anything I may have missed and like how you just got into this whole area. Yeah. So I've been doing this for over a decade now and I started just my own personal challenges. I think it's interesting. Most of us who are coaches or consultants or helping people in that specific way, we generally go through our own unique challenges and get such great value out of coaching and these new processes, procedures, tools that we learn. It's just becomes a point where it's like, okay, how do I share this with other people? So at first I had blamed my outside circumstances for the challenges that I was experiencing, particularly the city of Los Angeles got the brunt of it. Which is like my my favorite place in the world now, by the way, guys, like every time I go somewhere, I'm like, I love my home. So I left the country and I moved to Australia thinking that that would solve my problems. And I became acutely aware of this is the first time I became acutely aware of everything is coming from within. Because even though all the external circumstances that I had blamed for how I was feeling were gone, which they were, I'm in another country across the world, everything was still the same feeling on the inside. And actually, it just got significantly worse. That's when I realized to the degree that I was judging all these things that I had in Los Angeles, they were also quite helpful and keeping me on track and focused because as soon as they dissipated, I was like, whoa, I'm having a rough time. And that's actually when I found my first coach on accident, got stuck at a yoga studio, my car stalled, it was a new (laughs) car, I was like, totally didn't understand it, stalled. And when I was looking at the bulletin board, it was the first time I had ever worked with a coach and the first time I had paid that much, you know, and when she wrote everything down on the list of items to help transform things, I was like, that's me. And the one big thing that really hit me is that she got to the other side. Like I had been working on these challenges my whole life. I had gone to therapists. I'd been to psychologists. I'd been to all the sort of traditional types of therapies and hypnotherapies. And everyone just kept telling me support groups that I would have to deal with it for the rest of my life. And that it wasn't something that you overcome, right? It's just things that you have to deal with. And she was like, I'm free from it all. And it was interesting because I was like, that's it. Like, I just want to try it. And it worked. It really, really worked. Like it actually was the first time things started working and quickly. And that's when I realized like, I wanted to do this as well. You know, when I kind of found out like, wow, you could do this as a job. And also every time she got to show up and work with me, I realized it was also serving her, you know, help someone get what they want and you get what you want. And when I saw that too, I was like, this is like a win-win. (laughs) <laughs> I get paid and I get to teach personal development, do personal development. I was like, this is a win-win, man. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. 
That is really cool. But it goes back to the Mm -hmm. old adage, everywhere you go, there you are. Yes. Because, you know, we think we can run away from a circumstance or something. And it's like, why do I keep dating the same person? Why do I keep ending up in the same place? Why do I keep feeling the same way? And it's like you said, you even left and went to a different country. And it didn't change anything. (laughs) I did not escape. It doesn't work, guys. (laughs) So now it sounds like you had your setbacks and you had your challenges that you were working through. How can you really use a setback to empower you to move forward? Yeah. So we perceive set, like even the word setback, it's a perception that it set us back in time, right? So we label it as a setback. But when you can change your perception to see how it's actually helping you to move forward by asking that question. And I know sometimes you're going to be like, Carly, I can't see it. Keep asking, keep asking until you find it. We're not living in a purposeless world. This isn't a crapshoot. You're not just experiencing things randomly. When you ask that question, you realize that the thing that once labeled as a setback was actually there to move you forward. For example, had I not had that much internal struggle by living in Los Angeles, I never would have moved to Australia, which means I never would have found that initial coach, which like spiraled me into the life I'm in today. Like that trip changed my life. And when I came back, I loved LA, like nothing else before. It's my favorite place in the world now. So it's funny, like I had to leave home and realize that home was gone outside of me, right? Mm -hmm. That I lost the home inside to actually get back to the home inside. And now technically I can live anywhere in the world as long as I have that home within me. By the way, like, can you see that? Like what a setback and how much pain did I go through to get there? But how could you ever take that away? Like if I asked myself the question, like how did that serve me? Well, it brought me back home on the inside. So now that setback is not really a setback. It was just a challenge that was perfect for my journey to get me where I am today. And if I had to go through it again, would I? 100%. With certainty. Oh my gosh, I would love to, to make sure that like all that occurs, right? That I'm grateful for. So when we think about setbacks, it's asking ourselves those quality questions to see how this is actually serving our life purpose, how it's helping you to grow, to evolve, to expand, how it's helping you in all areas of life so that you shift your perception to something that you're angry with, something that drains your energy to something that you're like, wow, like I'm actually grateful that I have this. And I don't feel drained by it anymore. Now that I know the purpose of it, I know I'll get to the other side. I know I can overcome this. It really changes the dynamic of not just how you show up every day, but how you feel every day. Oh, and it's interesting that the word that you keep that, well, I guess it's more of a phrase, change your perspective. And I remember having a photography teacher who said, you know, everybody always looks in front of them for the picture every now and then look back. You know, in the moment, it was like, okay, yeah, whatever. But when I was actually out and taking pictures and making pictures, every now and then I would look back. And sometimes that was the most amazing shot because it's not, obviously, it's not something you would see and you would have completely missed the best possible shot if you didn't look back because you changed your perspective and your thought process of, oh, you know, I always have to look like what's in front of me. and take that view from the front instead of looking back. Because even though I might have passed it, that perfect shot could be right there. I love that example. (laughs) Also a photographer, like amateur on the side. So I was like, I totally get what you're saying. (laughs) Yeah. 
nice. Yeah, because it, like it just it one. works like that. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, you keep focusing on the front and it's like all these amazing things are happening in the back and you just turn around with your perception and you're like, oh, what a cool life. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a great, great example. Okay, this is a thing, brain fog, because we hear it in different contexts. But can you explain to us what your definition of brain? I keep wanting to say brain frog because <laughs> I swear, sometimes it really does it, feel though. like there's a frog in my head. Yes. Jumping around, sense. just doing stuff. But <laughs> what is brain fog and why does it block our inner voice? Well, you definitely described how it feels accurately. <laughs> like something else is in your head running around. <laughs> So yeah, basically, like when we have that fog, right, people come to me and they'll say, I'm confused. I don't know what to do next. I don't know where to go next. So we get confused and we don't have certainty on our next steps when we start comparing ourselves and our lives to the outside world. So depending on how long you've had that fog depends on how long you've been comparing yourself to one or many people. It's really quite fascinating because behind that, you actually have certainty And you only doubt yourself when you're assuming someone else is doing it better, someone else is smarter, someone else is wiser. I mean, this happens to us all the time, by the way, right? We kind of go in and out of fluctuations of our comparisons to the outside world. Like we'll clear a comparison, we'll work through it, and then we'll shift our perceptions, clear the brain fog, and another one comes in. And not because we're defunct or there's something wrong with us, but it's just to know that we're evolving human beings, right? So in the beginning, I might have compared myself to someone on Instagram for speaking. And I'm like, wow, they do such a great job. And then all of a sudden, I overcome that. And then I compare myself to people who are on podcasts or speaking in groups. And then I'm comparing to TED Talks and like, whatever my perception, the cream of the crop is for speaking, right? right? And so it goes in these different stages. So we don't ever escape it. But every time we compare, we get this brain fog that clouds the inner voice and vision. And we say, am I doing it right? Because you've labeled someone else's form as better. You've labeled something else on the outside as better than yours, more effective, more efficient, any adjective you can describe that in your perception puts them up on a pedestal and you in the pit. And when you take yourself out of the pit and you take them off the pedestal and you actually get present with the fact that this person is your equal, any person out there that you're comparing yourself to, you are equal to them. When you could see that with certainty, all of a sudden your inner voice and vision opens up and you get to see like what you actually would love to do and how to move forward. And the funny thing, like this happened to me recently, again, consistently, (laughs) but it's more work. I was like, again. (laughs) So I did work on the particular individual because I was like, am I, I was like, I feel like I'm confused about my vision and my practice and where I want to go. And all of a sudden I did the work on the individual and I'm writing down notes after the brain fog cleared. And I look up, I have these whiteboards all in front of me. And I was like, oh, it's what's already up there. I was like, oh, I knew it all the time. I was just questioning it because I had this comparison to this other person. So yeah, it's quite amazing when we shift those comparisons, the brain fog lifts and the inner voice and vision and your certainty comes out. That's certainty, the inner voice, the inner vision is certain. And I like that because sometimes I have to admit, the word that just keeps jumping into my head is suffer. (laughs) Suffer with uncertainty. You know, it's a sickness. (laughs) (laughs) Which is totally normal, by the way. (laughs) You know, and because I keep, oh, it's like, yeah, I should do it this way or that way. 
And like 10, 20, maybe a day or so later, it's like, really, should you? And then self-doubt starts creeping in. And it's like that insidious little demon shows up to undermine what I already know I should do. But then it creates procrastination. You know, so a lot of what I want to talk about this year, too, is the good girl syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. And it's really like a set of behaviors and perfectionism is one of them, but so is procrastination, right? Uh And procrastination has been my friend for so long. I really want to break up, you know, (laughs) because we have been in an on and off relationship for a long time. And I really feel like it's kind of a toxic relationship, you know, the one that you really want to leave, but something just keeps pulling you back. (laughs) So I have decided that we're breaking up and I'm not going to call it procrastination anymore, but I'm going to look at what am I avoiding? Because I had Mm -hmm. a guest on just recently, Mel Ayrton, and she was talking about avoidance. And I realized that, yeah, procrastination is a form of avoidance. So Mm -hmm. what am I avoiding? And then when I can ask myself that and figure out what I am avoiding, then what you're talking about, the clarity starts to come back and the self-doubt starts to leave, Mm -hmm. you know, but it can be a very interesting and not so fun cycle to go through. Yeah. The extra question I love to ask when I'm procrastinating on something is why? So what am I avoiding and why? Right. Because if I look at certain things that I'm not prioritizing, it's because something else got prioritized over it. And the truth is, is that something else is more important than the something that I prioritized it. And it's really cool because it also gets us to ask the question, like, is this really necessary to do? If it's not necessary to do, I can't tell you how much I drop. I drop so much stuff where I'm like, nope, not going to do it right now. Even again, the whiteboards and the list, there's tons of stuff for me that I'd love to do one day, but it's not top priority today. So some people could call it procrastination. But for me, I'm like, no, I have other things that are priority today that are just more in alignment in this moment. And those are going to come later. Right. And then there's that other dynamic where, okay, well, this is necessary to do now, but I'm not going to do it. And I have certainty like tech for me. Oh my gosh, tech websites. I'm the worst. I'm the worst. So it's like, delegate it. Just delegate it. Find someone who's good at it. Find someone who loves to do it and just delegate it. Because if I have to do it, it's going to be a nightmare. And we laugh sometimes whenever I do tech at some of our workshops and stuff. Everyone has a good giggle. So I was like, yep, I'm figuring it out. I did it. (laughs) I was like, you guys know me. This is going to be an issue every time I do tech. So it is. We have a little bit of a giggle because our regulars expect me to mess up on certain things because they know it's just not a top priority for me. And also, again, if it's necessary and we can't delegate it, is how can we ask ourselves like how it serves our other purposes so that we feel more comfortable, like actually being engaged in it and moving forward. And I mean, some examples too, is like things that, you know, regular things people complain about sometimes (laughs) is some of the admin tasks that we have to do in our business, you know, sometimes even taxes and stuff. And I even ask myself is like, how does that serve me? How does that serve me to do these admin tasks if I don't have someone right now? How does that serve me to pay taxes? Like, how does that benefit me? And I just ask those questions until I become grateful. And then I don't have to 
procrastinating. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, yeah, we are avoiding something, but like, why? Love yourself. Yeah. You're doing it for a reason. You are a purposeful human being. And even you procrastinating is purposeful. I can guarantee it. (laughs) Right. And I know like a lot of things that I do avoid doing in the moment. Again, a lot of it is tech. Like, yes. (laughs) There you go. You know, I'm trying to really make friends and get in a good relationship with tech as I'm releasing my relationship with procrastination. (laughs) So yeah, that is one of the things. So if I have to do a thing, it's like, I don't want to do this now. And, but then I got it. And then, but at the end of the day, it's like, how is that going to serve you if you just go ahead and do it? Because if you don't do it, what's the cost of not doing it? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. And it's cool because like if you have kids and stuff and you really value your kids, it's like, well, how does it serve your kids to watch you do tech? What do they get to learn? What do they get to understand? You know, if you have a really high value on personal development, how does it help your growth? I find tech to the degree that I have to focus. I can also listen to audio. (laughs) (laughs) Part of doing tech is like, oh, I did want to catch up on that audio book. I'll do this today. (laughs) Well, yeah. And then for me, I'm always learning something. Yes. And Google is my friend. Well, I have a couple of human friends who is like, hey, I need help. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, there's so much stuff that I have to Google all the time. (laughs) Just so I'm learning something new. I don't want to have to run to somebody every single time. So it's like, oh, okay, Mm -hmm. what's this thing for Zoom? Or what's this thing for the website? Or what's this thing? So it's like, all right, let's see if Google has it. And if I can't find it on Google, it's like, okay, who do I know who might know that? (laughs) Master researchers. You become a master researcher. (laughs) Right. So you've spoken about at some point shame. And a lot of us, especially women, carry shame. A lot of women carry shame about so many different things, right? So that could be a whole show right there. Let's talk about it. Yes. But you also bring up, pride. So does pride actually have an impact on us? Absolutely. So everyone's very accustomed to shame because we don't like to feel shame, but we don't actually understand the impact of pride. So for example, if you're really proud of something, and I'm not talking about feeling inspired by an accomplishment, inspiration is different than pride. Pride is when you're really puffed up. When you think you're awesome, you're better than other people, you're doing things better than other people, you're greater than someone. You've really put yourself really high on a pedestal and basically you think you're amazing and that everyone, you'll start shooting people, telling them how to live their life, telling what they should do, what they should be, how they should behave, what they need to do, supposed to do. And it's interesting because you're basically telling them to live according to your own rules, right? And we don't catch it because we've never been taught to catch it. Mm. It's something that is important for us to learn. Because when we say the pride before the fall, the pride before the fall is an actual universal law. So whenever you're too proud, you bring in humbling circumstances to cut you back down to size. And you see this, you can see this. If you haven't noticed it in yourself yet, this is funny, by the way, this is a little bit some pieces, like right before you fall or trip or like fall or something, like notice what you were thinking right before you fell. I remember I used to fall in my heels all the time, but I would be so puffed up. So I was like, I'm so dressed up. And I look so cool in my heels. Bam, fall on the floor, right? 
So when I say the pride before the fall, that was a solid actual example in physical form where I actually did physically fall. But there's also the pride before the fall. And when we get really puffed up about ourselves and who we are, that someone will come in and humble us, right? So even if you come in and you get criticism, you can get criticism from clients, you can get criticism from employees, criticism from your spouse. If you're really proud of all the things that you've done and you're very puffed up after a long day at work, you'll notice that there's a pattern that you'll come home and your partner, husband or wife will be critical of something that you're not doing, right? Something that you're not paying attention to. And if you've had a really down day at work, right? Let's say you're really low and it's been really hard. You'll notice that the pattern is you come home and your partner starts to lift you up. The universe is there to help you get back into balance. It doesn't want you to be high or low. It wants you to be grateful. And grateful is zero. That's equanimity. That's just like, you have just as much high as low when you equal that and you see just as much drawbacks as benefits, positives and negatives. All of a sudden you realize that you had an equal day. So when we want to tackle pride, the way to do it is first catch yourself. So when you perceive that you're doing things that have more benefits and drawbacks that are all positive. You're only seeing one side of your behavior. And it's wisdom to start to ask, what's the other side of the behavior that I'm not seeing? How is me doing this actually challenging people? Like, how is this actually a drawback or disservice to the individuals that I'm doing this to? Oftentimes, we see this when people are being highly supportive of individuals, like they might see someone who's really struggling, And so they support them financially, they support them physically. But then all of a sudden, what you've done is you've made someone dependent on you. They're no longer independent, they're codependent to such a degree that they're stuck where they are. They're not physically making money, they're stuck in your house, they're not moving forward, they're not taking accountability for their actions. And all of a sudden, like this part of you that thought you were so amazing for rescuing years later, still stuck potentially with, and usually this happens with kids, like your kid who's just been stuck in the house for how long, right? And you're like, gosh, how do I get this kid out of my house? Like he's way, he or she is like way too old to be living here, but you've over-supported them to such a degree. And that's part of your pride. So when you see the drawbacks of it and how it would serve them to actually be more critical, be more challenging, push them, you'll help the kid, you'll help these individuals gain some independence on their own and move forward. So that's why you want to catch your pride because you're not going to hold others accountable or yourself to actually move forward and see the other side. And the other thing too is like in business, it's really helpful. Like when we're really proud about an accomplishment and something we're going to put out in the world. Like I remember someone was telling me a story about how they were working with these individuals and they were putting out these houses for, I can't remember the country, but it was a third world country. And they were beautiful houses. They lived in kind of like, shacks like shanties and stuff and they were actually going to be houses with concrete walls and floors and everything they built them but because they wouldn't look at the drawbacks the disservices the challenges that would arise and they were just really proud that they were giving people houses they didn't realize that they built houses that people couldn't afford to upkeep so every time the electricity went out nobody could fix it and they didn't know how anytime there was a problem in the house nothing could be fixed and now those houses are in rooms and they're back to living in checks. So if we ask the questions beforehand and take out our pride and see the challenges that come with things that we're labeling as all good, 
we actually give ourselves foresight to tackle some really big problems that occur as a result of ignoring the other side. So yeah, pride before the fall is (laughs) genuinely real. (laughs) That's interesting because I know I'm getting all cliche, right? But it's almost like teach a man to fish and he'll eat for the rest of his life. Give a man a fish and he eats one meal. So it sounds like as you're talking about pride and some of the ways that it outpictures for us is you're giving the person fish after fish after fish, but you're not teaching them how to fish so that they can go out on their own. Because like in the example that you just gave, if they looked at the other side of what's going to happen when people live in the house, then they might have created another program to train electricians and plumbers and all this other stuff so that in the same community, people could actually fix what needed fixing because there'd be people yeah. there who are trained to do it. So I think that's a very interesting way of looking at pride because that's not a way I've ever really considered it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a very interesting view. Yeah. And another component about that as well is when we're connecting with people, if we just sit in front of them and tell them how to live their life, what they should do, what they need to do, I don't know if you noticed this, they just shut down. So if if someone does that to you where they sit in front of you and they're like, you need to do this, you need to do that, you should do this. I mean, at a certain point, we're already rolling my eyes. I'm going to interject and be like, you got to shut up or I get really (laughs) pissed off because I'm here and I'm coming up to here soon. So I suggest we stop right now. And why does that happen? Because they're really proud in that moment or we're really proud in that moment. And we're injecting onto other people. And eventually those people, we get the criticism back because they're actually there to humble us, to remind us, hey, I don't need to be like you. You're not appreciating me for who I am. So yeah, pride really impacts relationships. It impacts business, finances. It makes us narcissistic and feel like we deserve, deserve, deserve. I should be getting this. I should be getting that. And we lose that value of service, right? As opposed to having a balance of like the altruism and narcissism where we're altruistic enough to be giving service, but just a balanced narcissism to be getting paid for it. So we're like surviving in a world that functions off money. Like just have a balance. That's it. Just balance. And again, Uh, that is like a whole other interesting way of looking at things, right? Because I wouldn't have really thought about it that way because even when you look at certain generations they have shown up with a sense of entitlement. But at the same time, can you blame them? Because society and society is made up of all of us. So society, as in their parents, have created the framework for that. Yeah, well, it happens in schools as well. I've talked to my husband about this too, because, you know, being in Los Angeles, it's happening more frequently, you know, where they have sports teams and everyone wins. There's no great athlete has become an athlete that we admire or has amazing capabilities with their body because everyone won. Like they got there because they wanted to be the best. And we're starting to label these components as bad or wrong, whereas these individuals are masters of their physical body. Like great athletes are genuinely masters of physicality. And when we get to dive in to hear what they're doing around their mindset, around their physical body, right around their life and their lifestyle, we're like, wow, 
I know why you're where you're at today. And that didn't come because they were forced to be equal. It came probably because at one point they didn't like not winning. They didn't like not being the best. They wanted to figure out how to get better at something that they loved. No, losing isn't a bad thing. Losing like gives us feedback. And it's like, I did lose, but I'd love to like get better at this. I'd love to try again. What can I do to create that? And when we kind of take away the opportunity to have children fail and falter, we take away that opportunity for them to find the thing. And it might not be sports. It could be anything. But that one thing, just that one thing, that's all that's necessary to ignite in them. They say, I want to get better at this thing. Like I didn't do so well, but this is the thing I'd love to get better at. And then you watch a kid start to practice more and study more. And it depends on what it is. Sometimes it's even video games. And I know parents hate video games, but it's a multi-billion dollar industry. It's multi-billion dollar. And the things that individuals can now do within video games, I mean, it's more than just a kid playing a video game. It's a full-on career. If your kid's focused on video games, dude, (laughs) nurture it, figure out what they love about it. Because I'll tell you some of my wealthiest clients are also in the video game industry. But at a young age, one kid, he's been playing video games. And he had just his his mom at one point when he was young was like, yeah, yeah, you like video games? You want to do coding? I'll help you do coding. We'll get you a coding class or something. So you've got this kid at like 13 learning coding because he loves video games. And then his mom letting him work at video game companies. And now he's one of the most successful video game producers in the world. Like I said, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. So whatever it is that you're seeing that let kids fail, let people fail, let yourself fail. The components that you're like, I failed here, but I want to get to the other side. That's purposeful to you. That's inspiring. And pay attention to those things because those are the things I know that you'll go through pleasure and pain to master. You're already doing it. Every person on the planet is like already doing it. If you just pay attention to it instead of getting through those labels of what success needs to look like, should look like, it's like all of a sudden you realize what you're actually doing, what you're capable of. You connect with that and you nurture that to grow. It's quite inspiring. Right. I think, well, two things, right? When we're talking about the kids and everybody wins and then they grow up and they get into the workplace. And then they fall apart <laughs> because they realize everybody doesn't win. No, everyone does not win. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And if you don't do your job, you're going to get fired. You or don't get a every- trophy. You get fired. Right. Or everybody <laughs> doesn't get a promotion right when no. they want it. You know, so there are all these things that now it's a slap in the face and like a really harsh reality that what? Yeah. Everybody doesn't win. What? But I'm supposed yeah. to. You're supposed to give it to me. It's supposed to be this way. And that I think creates so many internal issues because then there's this complete cognizant dissonance between what is happening and what they believe is supposed to happen. And then it's like, Absolutely. you know, depression, anxiety, and all that other stuff that shows up. It was a great <laughs> example though, because you did nail it. That cognitive distances between what they think should happen versus what is happening is the root cause of depression. <laughs> so when you said that, I was like, that's it. That's actually what depression is because you're comparing your reality to the fantasy you thought it should be. We all win. Everything's perfect. Everyone's nice. I'm going to get rewarded for not doing any work to what it actually is. It's like, no, you actually might lose your job. 
not only are you not getting promoted, but if you don't start doing work and working harder, like you might lose your job, you might not be a fit for our company. And that's a harsh reality for people. So it's, it's like, how do you actually prepare individuals is not just being supportive with the pride component is also loving yourself enough, clearing that shame that you so beautifully mentioned to challenge people, not just kids, but also people you love, challenge them enough to help them to grow. You're here to do both. And we're here to receive both. All of our friends that we love the most aren't the ones that sugarcoat it every day. They're the ones that also kind of like put us in our place sometimes. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I need to hear that. Thank you so much. <laughs> and then, okay, so I think making failing normalized is good because I think so many of us have grown up where you hear failure is not an option. I've said it so many times to myself. Failure is not an option. Takes a while to get that out of our heads, right? Yeah. It really does because then if you're afraid to fail, then sometimes you just freeze yes. and you don't do anything, which is worse than actually failing. And then here I go cliching again, but you know, we've all heard about Edison and how many times yes. he tried and failed and tried and failed. And if he just said, okay, I'm done, somebody else would have figured it out, no doubt, but but still, time, it might have taken a while. <laughs> it might have taken a while longer. So mm. I think we really need to normalize failure, especially because I deal with a lot of women who are over 40. And I think within that realm, that failure is not an option. Perfectionism, all of that has been so ingrained, you know, culturally, by society, by our family of origin, because you want to be good, you know, yes. got to please everybody. And so I can't fail at this. And then again, there's just so much pressure <laughs> that we put ourselves under for that. And yeah. if we could just normalize it, it's okay to fail, you know, but you get up. Yeah. You know? It's like no. a two second rule. You get up, blow yourself off. Yeah. <laughs> keep going. It's funny because we haven't normalized it as a culture, but in the world, in our purpose and how we exist, it's necessary. Any entrepreneur out there, any mom or dad, anyone in a relationship, like think about anyone who's even at physical fitness, you go and you try new gym routines. Failure is inevitable. I'm not even going to say like you can avoid it ever. Like it's going to consistently happen on a regular basis. But if we take it and label it as something bad, which is a culture, it tends to happen. It becomes something we become shameful for as opposed to reflecting on why we failed. There are times when I look back and I've like, well, you know, I tried to sell this course and nobody bought it. Well, why? It's supposed to be like, oh, what a failure I am. I suck at this, this and that. It's like, well, why didn't anyone buy it? And I was like, man, that was completely off brand. Like, I don't know what I was doing. What was he thinking doing a course like that? Like, I don't want to do that forever. This is not my specialty. I was like, can I do it? Yes, but thank God no one signed up. Right. So it's like reflecting on, hey, that was feedback from the universe telling me, Carly, you're off track. Get back to where you belong and where you're inspired to be, because we all know this is not what you want to do. And so it's funny, like it, failure, it's just feedback. So sometimes it's because I'm doing something I genuinely don't want to do. Sometimes I just don't have enough information yet. I mean, think about all the new circumstances and situations. Raising kids is like the best example on the planet. You do you never prepare yourself for that. 
you can try to prepare yourself left and right. And I don't even have kids yet. And I know this because I have enough friends with kids, by the way, and I'm going to have <laughs> kids soon. And I'm like, there's nothing that you can do to prepare. I don't care how many tools I have. It's all going to go out the window when you have kids. And it's like starting from scratch. So we can't really compare. So I know that I will succeed as a mom and have a significant quantity of failures as well. But each one is because I'm learning and because I'm growing and I'm trying to understand like how to basically connect with these humans to help them to evolve and to grow in the best way possible, not just for me, but also for them. And that's challenging. So we assume that we're not going to fail or that other people don't fail and they're doing better. But remember too, if you're listening to people and you're listening to like podcasts or people speak and they're only saying how everything in their life is happy and positive and everything's perfect, I'm going to call BS. You can't function in life. And for me, it's funny because I listen to those people and I think, I know that you have challenges on the back end. And I actually don't want to listen to what you have to say because it's not helpful for me to sit here and build a fantasy that life is perfect in your little Cinderella dream world. That's not a fact. The reality is, is you're going through major challenges, but you're overcoming them. And I would love to hear about that. That would help me. That would help me to know what it's like in the moment, what tools to use, how you process it, how you overcome it. Because I know that to the degree that things are working out, things are probably also a little bit of a shit show. You know, that's actual life. So when we can realize that it's just there to help us grow, to help us evolve and take it as feedback, we use it as a tool. And that's all it is, is it's a tool. When we judge ourselves for it, that's when we build shame. Yeah, not seeing why it serves us, but it's just a tool. It's just feedback. And I love that. So if you're going to use an F word, instead of using <laughs> failure, use feedback. <laughs> yeah, feedback. Yeah, I failed today. What's the feedback? What's up? <laughs> yeah. So let me just ask you this. What is your perspective on life purpose and how does it differ from most people's perspective or their definition? Yeah. Okay, so with that one, a lot of people consider like they call it a passion, right? Like this is our passion and what I'm passionate about. I don't know if anyone's ever looked at the etymology of passion, but passion, actually the etymology is to suffer, okay? So <laughs> this is actually where pride comes in as well and elation. So when we are over emotional about something and see too many positives, we bring in passion, elation, pride. And it's an emotional state. It's a highly emotional state. We think it's better because we want to feel more of that high elation than the low elation. But just know the more high elation you have, the more lows you'll have in your life as well. And I know that immediately when people hear this and they have that desire for the high elation, they're like, I do have big highs and lows. You'll have major highs and major lows, major highs and major lows. Passion and purpose are very different. Purpose is inspiration. Inspiration means you still have challenges, but the emotional swing won't be as high as low, right? It's not going to be as high as low. The thing that you're inspired by, which is your true purpose, and this is another interesting component, people think they're disconnected from it. It's something that you're engaged in every day because people think purpose has to be like this big thing and this big goal and, you know, all this stuff. It doesn't, you know, it could literally be like, I know people, it's like their purpose is they love knitting. They genuinely love to dedicate as much time as possible to knitting, to reading a book, to spending time with their kids. It could be working on your business. It could be speaking. It could be beauty. A lot of women, you see beautiful women and people judge themselves because they're like, oh, I'm not as good looking and I don't work out as much and this and that. 
that person in front of you has genuinely a life purpose around looking that way because they're willing to go through the pleasure and pain to get there. And we all know that those people spend a crap ton of time in the gym. They're highly focused on what they're eating. And I've seen women spend two hours every day doing their hair and makeup. Not a good or bad thing, but they look like that, not because they're better or more beautiful than you, but because they have a value on creating that look, Mm -hmm. right? That's Mm -hmm. their purpose. So when we think about purpose, it's actually what your life demonstrates daily. If you want to make a life out of your purpose and you want to create a life by design, it's paying attention to truly what's most important to you. What do you invest the most time in? And you ask, how can I implement that daily? The reason why I love purpose-driven business only because if I'm going to make money, why not spend like every, why not make money doing off something I love every day, right? So yeah, if your purpose is beauty, get in the beauty industry. If you love looking beautiful every day, sure, being an influencer is probably like the best case scenario for you, right? If you love physical fitness, like let's get you in the gym somehow. If you love personal development, what does that look like? Could be coaching, could be consulting. Sometimes it's managing teams in an office, you know? Well, this one guy we work with, he's amazing. He loves personal development and he runs the personal development sector, he started it at a huge corporation, like a $10 million corporation. He's the one who started it. Now he's the leader there. And he brings in speakers and does workshops. And he's all in charge of like the whole new division, right? So you don't have to be a coach. He just found another way to do it. He's being a coach, but in his own way. So it's like, yeah, find the thing that you wake up every day. You love investing your time, your money in. It energizes you the most. That's your purpose. It's not nebulous. It's in your face. You cannot disconnect from it. You will procrastinate on everything under the sun to make sure that purpose is fulfilled. And loving and appreciating yourself gives you the opportunity to not just connect with it, but nurture it. You're right. A lot of times it's like, oh, got to find my purpose. And you're looking for this huge thing and it's going to affect a gazillion people and you're going to save the world and the planet is going to be renewed because of the thing that you're doing. And I'm not saying that they're not people out there that that's their thing, right? Totally. But I'm going to have to jump in and, you know, say the majority of people. Yeah. That's not your jam. You know, that's yes. not your lane. <laughs> and that doesn't mean you're not as valuable as that person. That's the disconnect. That's where we judge ourselves, get the brain noise and think that what we're doing every day isn't important. But it's like what people forget is that person who's doing all that stuff can't do any of it without you. They can't. You're either the one buying their products, you're working in their company, you're making sure that the wheels turn in their business. So remember too, like you are collaborating as a collective to make those things happen. And in the meantime, it's like, well, what do you do in your life? And it's only small if you label it small, but it's quite inspiring. I was working with a lady, she was judging herself because she was an accountant. And she was like, oh, like I don't make an impact and I want to make an impact. And when we saw the impact that her accounting makes, she's like, does forensic accounting in the company. Which, yeah, what she actually saw is as a result of all her forensic accounting, it made sure that the company's bottom line and profit and everything was like running smoothly. And because of that, it was for a magazine and the magazine would put together groups and these groups 
We're a very specialized group of people. It was a niche, right? Where like 100,000 people would get together from all over the world in this tiny little niche. And I was like, so because you do all the forensic accounting, they've been able to make sure that these are still profitable. These can still go through. And how many people come together as a result? She's one part of that machine that makes that happen. And so when you think about it, it's like, what purpose am I serving? I want you guys to pay attention in your life. To, it's the snowball effect. Every time you buy something, I'm on a computer right now. Do you have any idea what it took to make this computer? Like how many jobs like actually got fulfilled as a result of having it? You know, like how many people and how many countries? And that's amazing when you think of it, that you get to be a part of that just by simply investing in something that's important to you. So people really judge themselves and make themselves feel small because they've compared themselves to an outside source, like those big, you know, like an Elon Musk or something, saving the world and going to another planet, right? But you are what you admire. And when you acknowledge it in your own form, you get to realize and connect more deeply with your purpose and realize that it matters to the same degree as any other person on this planet. And then you can nurture it in the way that's best suited for you and your journey. That's our life by design, right? Is making it around what's best suited for you and your journey, not what you think you should be or have to do or have to be. You be what you would love to be. I really like that. I mean, that really is a little bit of a different, again, we'll use that word perspective (laughs) (laughs) on life purpose because it doesn't have to be this huge thing. And I know with even me, I know part of who I am is somebody who really does want to make a difference. And I think other people who want to make a difference don't realize how they impact other people on a regular basis. They just don't get the feedback to know that they've had a a positive impact. So that could be part of their purpose is to walk through life and have positive impacts on people and never necessarily get that feedback, but doesn't mean it didn't happen. So I love that. And thank you so much you know, for being here and sharing your thoughts and perspectives on things. Because I think listening to you could have opened up possibilities and changed mindsets even a little bit. Because, you know, so many times 